Hello and welcome to another episode of the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Richard Haynes of Haynes Real Estate. We are a real estate brokerage here in the South Bay of Greater Los Angeles covering Palace Verdes through the beach cities all the way up to Manhattan Beach. This week's episode here, Monday, September 25th, 2023, we are lucky to have a special guest, Rick Morales of Palace Verdes Engineering. Rick is the OG engineer of the South Bay. He's been doing it for decades. He's got a wealth of knowledge, not just structural engineering here in Palos Verdes, but he has a deep, deep understanding of soils throughout the South Bay on properties during the Northridge earthquake. He investigates fires and is also an expert witness on a ton of legal cases, and he has had his hands on plenty of projects throughout the South Bay. If you go down to building projects or look at plans throughout the South Bay, you see PV engineering stamp all over them. We are lucky to have Rick. Hope you enjoy the show. Let's get to it. Rick. Welcome to the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. Thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. All right. Thanks for having me on board. Of course. You are the man, the myth, the legend, the engineering master here in the South Bay. Well, that's way too nice of you. (laughs) I love having you whenever we're doing an escrow or a client's fixing up a house. I love hearing your insight because the engineering game is so important, but so few people actually understand what goes into it all. So you're going to peel back the curtain for everyone here on the podcast Anywhere can today. Help. I love it. So before we, we get into any engineering yeah. things, I want you to give us a little bit of your background. It can start from the early days and where you got your education and how long you've been here in the South Bay to what you guys do in business. I'm just going to give you the floor to, to give us a little, little summary of, of okay. everything. Fantastic. All right. Uh, Rick Morales. I um, grew up in Hawaii. A lot of people don't know that. Amazing. Um, worked in the pineapple fields. Really? Picking pineapple. Uh, learned what hard work is like. That's why whenever I go on a, on a construction site and I see the laborers in the excavation holes working, I really give them a lot of respect for that because I know what it's like to work really hard as a laborer. Absolutely. Um, but with that in mind, I had dreams of uh, becoming an architect originally. Uh, my parents thought that I couldn't make any money as an architect or an artist, um, but I pursued that dream. Interesting enough, they wanted to buy property um, when I was in the seventh grade because I have, um, we lived in a plantation, interesting enough, a plantation in a village called uh, the Whitmore Village in Hawaii, where my dad um, was came aboard um, during the Japanese War, and Dole was looking for laborers to actually work in the pine fields. So he came with the first group of settlers, so to speak, um, on a big ship, probably laying on the bottom of the ship with all these other workers, not knowing where they're going to go. And they ended up um, at a plantation called Whitmore Village, where I grew up. Yeah, in- interesting. It's like an old town village. So when there'd be like a rain out day, you'd see that here, we, we would hear the horns. Um, in my backyard was actually the pineapple fields wow. for miles. 
And uh, till this day, I won't eat pineapple. Really? I work in the pineapple fields. Um, and what people don't realize is pineapple that you get, you know, are typically fresh. Mm -hmm. But when you live next door to a pineapple field, you're going to smell rotten pineapple. Mm -hmm. In fact, as you're picking the pineapples, um, if you get rotten pineapples, it'll go all over your clothes. So, you know, along with living close to the pineapple fields, having my father make pineapple candy, yeah, I just had so much pineapple. So till this day, I won't eat pineapple. Just you had amazingly enough. enough. Er, early in life, you had enough pineapple. Uh, yes, early <laughs> so in life. So yeah. you're good for now. And I hear about yeah, other people who've worked in strawberry farms. They won't eat strawberries either. Interesting. Yeah. So, but um, there, I had I learned um, to develop my good work ethic. Uh, and till this day, as an engineer, you know, working in an office environment, um, I find it to be simple and, and easy compared to working in the fields. So I believe it. Yeah. Um, but um, back to the story. So in the, in the seventh grade, uh, my parents wanted to purchase a property um, and they had picked their, they had picked a home in uh, a tract development called Mililani. They picked a house that they wanted as a dream house. Um, but later realizing um, they had um, issues because my, I have four older sisters and they couldn't figure out a way to send us all to college. And at the same time, um, um, buy this home. Hmm. So I saw the sacrifice they made. They remodeled our home. Um, they ended up sending all my sisters to college, and all four, four of them, um, and getting their masters. Incredible. Uh, but at the same time, um, that was where I actually saw building plans. And and um, so while I was in high school, I was the only student. Um, that took architecture. I sat back in, in a history class, the only kid doing architecture. I um, competed in, in these co uh, t contests uh, with all the different high schools, making models and, and all that. So that was my, you know, my opening to what architecture is like. And um, from there, um, I applied to, to two schools, uh, USC and Notre Dame. Because wow. USC and Notre Dame were the only two <laughs> schools when they went to college in 78 that actually had a double major that had um, wow. engineering and um, architecture. So Two I, ended rivals up picking, at it. I ended up Two. in USC <laughs> and I'm glad I did. That's great. So, a little bit shorter of a plane flight right. back home. Right. I'm thinking of your school in Hawaii because I, when I've gone to the big island and you go inland and you see the schools are smaller. And back in the day, I'm thinking of like a big red barn that's a one room school with different grades? Was it like that, that small of a town or was it a little bit bigger than I'm imagining? So um, Whitmore Village is a part of a town called Wahiwa. So when you're in Oahu, you actually drive through uh, Wahiwa to get to the North Shore from Waikiki. You'll see this little town, but it's right next door to the Hickam Air, Air, Force, the Hickam Air Force Base. So we had a lot of students from um, the Hickam Air Force um, at our high school. Um, so uh, our high school was uh, very large, um, Leilahua High School. Our, our graduating class was actually 600, to give wow. you an idea. That's huge. It was a big, it was a big school. Yes. So, yeah. Much bigger than I imagined. So amazing. So you saw building plans yeah. with your family. You had this dream of becoming an architect. You went to USC. What changed from architecture to engineering? Was there a switch when you were in college? Yeah. So... Um, 
SC was very expensive, um, and and my parents thought, you know, for the cost of this education, maybe I should also go into structural engineering. Hmm. And my high school uh, teacher uh, had told me that one of the issues during construction is that the, the structural engineer and the architect do not get along. So if you could go into both fields, that would be a great thing. So um, when I decided to pick to USC, they had a program called Building Science. Um, this was the second year for, for the Building Science program where you could get a uh, education in civil engineering with a minor in architecture. Awesome. So that's what I got. Yeah. And then the rest is history from the rest there. Is history from there. So then tell me, you graduate from USC. Do you immediately go to work for Palos Verdes Engineering? Or did you start somewhere here in the South Bay? Did you go out of state doing things in a, you know, New York City? Did you go back to Hawaii? What was your first for, foray into engineering? Yeah, so fortunately enough, I um, got a job with a company called South Bay Engineering. And South Bay Engineering is right off Tijuana here, right across from um, the Palos Verdes building department. And um, Palos Verdes, um, there were very few homes, um, you know, um, before South Bay Engineering was involved. They were the, pretty much the premier engineering um, company. Ray Quigley was the owner. So um, there was another architect named Davis, and there's many homes throughout uh, Palos Verdes that was designed by Quigley and Davis, and they were calling it Quick and Davis. Um, and um, so that's where I started, at South Engineering, yes. I love it. And then so got to know the Palos Verdes Hill, Yes, I'm assuming, and probably trickled down into the beach cities from time to time. Yes. And then you ended up moving over to Palos Verdes Engineering, which you've been for been at for how long? A long time. A long time. A long time. Pretty much most of my career. Um, so in the late 80s, uh, John Shurik, who also worked at, at South Engineering, he and I um, co-founded Palos Verdes Engineering. And um, it's been a great experience. You know, half, half of what we do is forensic engineering, which involves um, evaluating the cause of the stress structures. And here in Palos Verdes, we have hillside homes, so that's really big. Uh, a big part of our clientele are insurance companies. Hmm. Uh, so uh, with that, um, during the Northridge earthquake, I think John and I inspected over 5,000 homes, wow. working for State Farm and Auto Club and all, and all that. Um, but we were um, destined to want to continue to grow uh, because, um, we, you know, with working for insurance companies, you can pretty much hang a shingle anywhere and, and open up, up an office. So in, in 95, uh, we opened up an office in um, Arizona, Scottsdale. And then later, um, a couple years later, uh, we opened up an office in um, San Diego. So, you know, we were firing at all cylinders. Um, uh, but as time has gone on, um, uh, you know, it's a lot of work to run three offices. Yes. So um, right now uh, we've closed, we've become much smaller and, and all I have is the Palos Verdes office now. Which is so, great. Yeah. So you, you stick to your roots. You yeah. know exactly what you know around here. Yep. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. I love it. Yeah. Well, you're, you're an in-demand podcast guest oh, wow. because there's so much that goes on with engineering. I think yeah. as people are getting more and more sophisticated in the real estate realm, yeah. buyers and sellers are more sophisticated because they have the Zillows and Redfins. They know their home value. They're talking to more and more contractors to build. There's Google to suggest what 
price per square foot might be for building a home or what it might cost to replace a roof, et cetera, et cetera. But I kind of feel like there is still a curtain that's pulled over the engineering aspect, structural aspects, soil aspects that people just don't understand, especially in Palos Verdes with the hillsides and especially by the beach where you have sand and water and all those type of things. I kind of wanted to kick off this episode with you, and, and it may be kind of geotechnical, but you work in that realm, and you can tell us as much as you can. You know, the big news a couple of months ago was the Pear Tree Lane landslide over right. in Rolling Hills Estates, and I got so many texts from clients or even just friends, is your house okay, even though I live on the other side of the hill, yeah. or are other homes at risk? Is yeah. our home at risk? And I'm like, look... Yeah. For the most part, no, but can you give us your perspective on Pear Tree Lane from what you know, and I know maybe you've been over there or you haven't, but just give us your perspective on Pear Tree Lane, the hill as a whole, being on a hillside, some of the things, the general things you recommend to homeowners and people doing construction, and let's start there and we can kind of move on from that topic. Sure. Um, Yeah, it's really unfortunate what has happened at Pear Tree Lane. Um, I understand that uh, there is a geotechnical firm that has been hired to investigate cause. But with any type of structure, um, I think as a homeowner, um, homes itself could be similar to the human body. It's going to show symptoms of of whether you're sick uh, or symptoms of distress. And I think we should always be aware of, of the the health of our, of our buildings. So what are some concerns one could have? Well, typically, if you're sick, you're going to develop a cough or um, a scratchy throat, right? But if it, if it continues, um, eventually you go to see a doctor. So on, for most properties, if you're in your home and you've been there for some time, uh, what most people will find or observe initially are some cracks. So if you start to see cracks on your walls or ceilings, that's a sign, a symptom of, of, a, of an issue. Um, but if it continues and, and you start to notice unlevel floors or maybe a door or window frame doesn't work, it becomes unsquare, now it's starting to show you more signs that the health of your building um, is not behaving as one would expect. And um, what I tell people is if you see um, these distress features occurring quickly, where now these cracks have become about an eighth of an inch or wider, I think at that point, um, it would be wise or prudent to get an engineer, a licensed engineer or geologist to look at your home. Um, As far as the hill and the beach cities, uh, what's the difference? Well, um, we have clay soils on the hill, whereas the beach cities, you have sand. Uh, With clay soils, um, it, um, clay soils, can have expansive characteristics. So expansive characteristics are such where um, with seasonal changes of of rain, um, the soil will tend to want to expand. So if you think think of particles of clay um, with with influence of water, it widens. But as you get seasonal changes of dry summers, that those voids become smaller because it starts to shrink. But with the ongoing process of, or cyclic process of wetting and drying with the weight of a structure, 
the particles consolidate, and that's when you start to develop settlement. So many homes on the hill um, experience what we call long-term settlement. It wasn't until like the late 80s that um, the building departments require that you get a, a soils report if you're going to improve your home. Hmm. Um, and, and with that, the soils engineers um, recommend, start, started to recommend drainage improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, in their reports, they would say that um, all roof runoff should be collected uh, by gutters and downspouts to direct water to a non-erosive area. Um, all all surface drainage on softscapes and hardscapes adjacent to the house should be also collected and directed to a non-erosive area. So there was an understanding after having you know twenty or thirty years on the hill for these homes that they start to see signs of distress um, triggered by water. Mm-hmm. So, so water is the mechanism typically that can cause soil movement or slope movement. Um, again, um, during the Northridge earthquake, we saw um, homes move laterally where, where, where they were built on hillsides. Um, and and that, that can occur. But in most cases, um, homes on hillsides will be affected by water. So... So talking about pear tree, I think um, most properties aren't going to immediately um, fail. Most properties are going to show some signs of, of, of having a symptom that something is occurring um, before the actual large failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually saw failures similar to pear tree 20 or so years ago in Anaheim Hills. So this is not an uncommon problem, okay? But again, water. So what can affect a property? So I think one of the things that probably the geotechnical engineering firm that's gonna be working on the on this investigation is they're gonna look at what were the original plans um, re- required as far as grading and drainage for for the area. They're going to look to see if if what was originally intended for the property is what was actually built. Mm-hmm. So there's always always an issue between design and construction. Um, but usually, again, you know, from our discussions already, that if you get water directed to a, a home, for example, that's going to trigger some type of movement. Um, but usually once the building starts to move, because you have utilities underneath the home um, that many times will cause a secondary problem, which would be the damage to the the utility lines, which Mm. is additional water, right? So what forensically the, the soil engineering firm is going to have to, is going to look at, they're going to look at original building plans, original geotechnical requirements where the foundations, um, constructed as, as recommended in the plans and by the geotechnical report. So they're gonna have to look at all of these things to see what was built and what was not built per the plan. Um, and, and, uh, and then from there, they're gonna have to come up with recommendations as far as- Which they were built in yeah. the 70s, so it's before yeah. the soils engineers yeah. were implemented. And I actually, I showed a home on Pear mm. Tree a ah. few months before they really? went down. And thankfully my client didn't yeah. buy them. Um, but you have taught me very well Mm -hmm. 
uh, in in learning from when we've had you hired for clients is water and drainage. And I was looking around going, there's no sidewalks around here. It's a hillside. And I was looking around going, where does all this water drain? Do I see drains in the back? Now, I didn't see any symptoms of, of a sick home. I didn't see tons of cracks. I didn't see issues. But boy, oh boy, did I look at the street coming down and go, there are no si- This water wants to come down the hill and is it going under the house? So that's my completely uneducated, dumb realtor answer. But, uh, you know, I didn't see the health issues. So, so um, one of the, one of the areas that, um, requires expertise, I think, from an, a, a home inspector or an engineer um, is to examine a home where um, the walls have been freshly painted. Because mm-hmm. usually, usually um, when a home gets sold, it's cleaned up. It's cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to freshen it up. Mm-hmm. Whether whether the prior owner was aware of, of cracks and sealed them, typically uh, they'll get cleaned up. So so with that in mind, it now requires the inspector to put on their detective hat, essentially. Um, so what are some conditions that could be occurring that you cannot see? And, and, and typically, the first thing I do, one of the things I, I bring along with me, you'll see me at every home inspection, is a digital hand level. Mm-hmm. That's similar to um, like a stethoscope for a doctor. Uh, why is it important? Well, um, my goal is when I go go to the home is just to um, evaluate if the floors are unlevel, and or exhibiting signs of tilting. So we we're talking a little bit earlier about um, uh, descending slopes and, and topography and so on. But I believe um, one can can look at the topography of a property even before actually going to the site and having some understanding of where you can expect there to be movement. Um, so a lot of our homes on the hill here um, could be described as transition lots. We have s- steep descending streets, right? So with that in mind, um, when they build these homes, you have to create these level pads for, for the building. And how do they do that? Well, in, in order to do that, if the home is, is uh, sloping or descending from the, from the left to the right, the right side is going to require some earth. So they'll be bringing tractors in there. Sometimes they'll have to move some of the earth on the left side of the lot. And we call that cut. Well, they'll, they'll scrape some of that soil and they'll push it over to the right side. And we call that fill. So when you have homes where the foundations are supported on fill with poor drainage, where roof runoff and surface runoff is, is allowed to pond adjacent to the foundations, there's a good chance you can expect to see signs of wall cracks, floor tilting, unsquared door frames, and so on. So when you go to a home, it's been recently painted, already in my mind before I go to the property, I'm looking for these types of conditions that I would expect. Mm-hmm. Like a textbook example for homes, you know, properties where foundations might be built on fill with poor drainage. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, when you had mentioned that you had been out to that one property in Pear Tree, so I'd be curious about history. Um, many times when I go to a property, I always ask questions like, when did you paint last? Um, did they have did the, the seller have to repair any door frames? Um, did, you know, did they have to relevel any floors? So sometimes 
on these homes where the floors were on level, um, you're able to float lightweight concrete on top of a, a slab floor. So it, it doesn't give you the, the, the feeling of, of an unlevel floor. But and so with that in mind, I have to even put on my tech hat even, even more because sometimes uh, I've been to properties where they've leveled the floors, they've squared out the door frames, they've painted the walls, but I can see that the ceilings are sloped. Hmm. Interesting. You see? Yeah. And they weren't able to change that. Mm -hmm. um, so in some ways, it's not buyer beware, but I think it's a, a function of being educated. Um, you know, when you, when, you, when you buy property, I think you should understand um, uh, its topography. You need to understand its drainage condition because um, uh, those two items could affect um, building behavior. I'm, I agree with you. And I feel like your number one is probably drainage. Yeah. Because whenever I'm out at a property with you and what you've taught us and issues we see, it's drainage, drainage, drainage. Get those uh, uh, French drains in your backyard to flow it out to the street or make sure you have the rain gutters to brush water away from your foundation. And you've taught me so well now. Yeah. I'm looking at how does the property slope? Where does that water flow? I get really excited when I see drains in a backyard or Good. on the or French Good. drains on the side of homes Good. because I'm like, okay, Rick's taught me about this, um, and so I always I always advise clients or if we see um, cracks in the soil, I think it begins with a D. What's the type of crack you call desiccation it? Desiccation cracks. Des desiccation cracks. Yes. I look for those, and is water sitting and ponding, and you see the deflection and reflection, or you know, based on concrete where water's sitting or not moving. Those type of things, it, it seems like, are high up on your list that you look for first in keeping the foundation dry is what I've always heard from Correct. you. Correct. Well, the goal is to keep um, the, the, the soil around the foundations at an even moisture content at all times. Okay. If it gets way too dry, it could be problematic. You want it to be at an even moisture content. That's why many times homeowners will um, pour concrete flat work around a house because uh, that'll keep the soil uh, you know, from completely drying. Mm -hmm. So, but I think... I, I think um, we all know when we're healthy. We all know um, when we're not having any issues with our health. And I think homeowners should feel the same way about their drainage. They should feel that um, in, they welcome a big storm, knowing that all of their water, all the rainwater is not going to be directed toward their foundations. Um, and if that they've done whatever they, 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 they're able to, to uh, solve that problem, right? And I love a big heavy rain now yeah. that you taught because yeah. I put on the raincoat and yeah. I'm like, let me see where all this water's going so that I know when to call Rick when I may need some help. So that's good, I think, for our listeners to know with pear tree, with PV and the, the topography, because it's where does on the hill does this water flow yeah. and the expansion and contraction yeah. of the clay soils that people yeah really need to deal with. And I know pockets here in PV, yeah. like there's a section over in Velmonte, you've got Via Las Vegas and Via Ardea. And there's this section that kind of almost looks like it would have been an old tributary draining down through Hollywood Riv. And there's houses that surround that. And I go, those people need to be extra serious about watching where all this, and you've got storm drains going down into there. And it's just, you've got to be hyper aware of that stuff today. 
Yeah, in addition to that, it's really important that we um, um, we 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 keep our drainage systems um, intact and clean. Um, so having all your drain lines, your subdrain lines, hydro washed or hydrojetted every year, I think is a good annual mm-hmm. thing to do. It's Agreed. Like, like getting your blood tested, you know, every year to see your health. I think it's important that you get them cleaned. If they're not functioning well, because it's, it's very common for pipes, you know, because we have soil movement, the pipes may crack and um, tree roots love to go toward water. That's where, where they're directed. So a lot of times the tree roots will, will hit toward the pipes and clog the pipes. So it's important um, that you also feel comfortable that your drain lines are functioning properly. Perfect. Well said. I want to ask you a couple, they're not like quick fire questions, but maybe a little more technical. I've had clients who buy older homes with roof shingles, and then you've got kind of like the tar and the board slats, but there's no particle board. They used to not put particle board on top of the roof. Do you know what I'm talking about here? I'm probably not explaining it properly. Um, Say it a different way. So you've got basically the roof the tar and paper, and then you've got the roof structure with all the, you've got the ridge line, and then you've got the supporting beams. And sometimes you look up and you just see kind of the tar paper. Okay. So you don't have the actual particle board. How big of a deal is that for structure? Because now people go, hey, you need the particle board, and I think it's for structure. Yeah. Is What are your thoughts on that? Because I'm selling people older houses and we go, well, that's another $10,000 in particle board when you replace the roof. Is it a big structural issue to not have that? Or did they start adding that for more structure around a home? Okay. Uh, so, so first of all, um, normally for these older homes, especially if they had wood shingles, mm-hmm. they would be supported on what we call uh, space sheathing, which is one by six boards. Uh, with some spacing between it, so it yes, exposes. That's what I'm talking about. It exposes the uh, the the, uh, the roofing felt material. Yes. Okay. So, um, seismically, a building itself, um, in order to withstand an earthquake, it has horizontal um, diaphragms, which is the roof, and the, and maybe a floor, and it has vertical walls. We call it shear walls. So if you were to build a home today, it requires a rigid horizontal diaphragm. They don't allow you to put space sheathing anymore. Hmm. Or even way back then, they would use diagonal boards at a 45 degree. They have very little shear strength. So just as much as a shear wall has to have rigidity to transfer loads from the the horizontal diaphragm, which is the roof, to the foundations during an earthquake, um, in order for the building to be rigid, horizontally, you need plywood. Mm-hmm. So any new structures would require plywood, not particle board, but plywood. Um, and um, so you have rigidity between the vertical shear elements. Got it. Are you worried about homes? Because there's still a lot of homes in Palos Verdes with the wood shingle roof that probably don't have the particle board. Do you worry about those homes or just go, no, when it's time to replace the roof, make sure you put on the plywood? Yeah, so... Most of our homes here are single story. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at over 2,000 properties during Northridge. I found very few homes experience what we call permanent deflection, where it actually had permanently deflected or tilting at a condition because it didn't have adequate um, shear walls or adequate horizontal sheathing. Um, 
in essence, um, our structures today are um, new homes are built with a lot more heavier materials. You know, hmm. we have heavier roof tiles. Everyone wants either, you know, these really expensive stone um, products for the second floors um, and the deck areas. So there's much more weight that's being um, um, supported by these horizontal diaphragms and um, which require plywood. But more than anything else, seismically, I think um, you want to make sure, especially if you have a home built before 1950, that the foundations are bolted. Uh, we looked at properties um, in Big Bear um, from the Joshua Tree earthquake where the buildings actually f fell off its foundations. Because, and that's what the Because they're not bolted. Okay. So, so what does that mean? Um, most, most structures have a perimeter concrete foundation and it has a mud sill and you have a wood frame structure up above but it requires anchor bolting. Hmm. It requires that the, the mud still be anchor bolted to the foundations. Um, Simpson, um, which is one of the uh, big company that sells um, their metal hardware, they have a guide called this, the seismic uh, retrofit guide that a homeowner can look at that specifies uh, different ways you can attach your home uh, foundations, uh, 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 the wood frame structure to the foundations with these um, UF, UFP plates. Um, in addition to that, they have other type of seismic improvements you can do uh, to, to attach your post and piers um, and the girders with these connectors and your cripple walls. Uh, these are things I think are more important um, than actually, you know, making sure you have a, a good um, plywood diaphragm on the roof. I think one should focus on the foundations, make sure that that you have that they're properly retrofitted um, during the Northridge earthquake uh, there was the, the Northridge Meadows apartment building where the, the upper two floors actually collapsed on the lower level because the lower floor had very few shear resisting elements hmm. so we, we call that a soft story condition right and as a result of that um, the city of Los Angeles have required like 15,000 buildings in LA to be the soft story retrofit yes mm -hmm. um, in fact you know, right now, city of Torrance uh, and other cities um, are also looking into making that a mandatory thing. But with that in mind, uh, you know, when you look at um, these homes that are built on hillsides, many people want to take advantage of the view. Mm -hmm. So there's very sh few shear resisting elements at the back exterior of the home, typically, um, which should be strengthened or um, because there's very few shear resisting walls. Mm -hmm. Walls are, you know, um, you know, also is important for seismic, but in the front of a, of a garage, for example, you're going to see very f narrow walls on either side. So garages itself are, are also very flexible and can tend to deflect during an earthquake, which, uh, so between um, the front of the garages or, or portions of your home where there's very few shear walls, I think those are one areas that you may want to consider strengthening for better performance. Which it sounds like you need a lot of strengthening if you're going to convert an ADU from your garage. That's Because yeah, exactly. I'm sure you've been called a lot with ADUs and you're going, this has no shear wall on this side of the garage. you got to put all this structure in. And at that point, the, the city um, uh, building department is going to require that you make sure you also upgrade the lower level for seismic. Mm. So I think, um, you know, talking about drainage and, and, and seismic um, uh, influences on a home, I think those are two things homeowners should always think about their home. Do I have adequate drainage during a heavy, heavy rain? Do I have adequate shear resistance during a large seismic event? And I think if you've thought about that and addressed that, um, 
I think you could feel better sleeping at night, you know, so. That's very helpful. And I always tell people whenever we're inspecting a home, you're the, we have the general inspectors and the sewer inspectors and the chimney inspectors. I always feel like I have a nice warm blanket when you come out and are added to that Thank because you. really it's all about going, these general inspectors can go in and give you some clues, but they don't have the background that you have. And you put on the hard hat and the suit, just like you were out in the you know pineapple fields. You yep. get your hands dirty. You go under the house. Yes, I've seen you up in the attic. Yes, you go all around the property and you go in there with your... 30, 40 years of experience, and you tell our homeowners exactly what they need to, to take care of. And a lot of the times, just like you said, it's drainage and it's the foundation work. And then from there, it's little goodies, you know, of maybe a ridge line or some extra structure up in an attic. But if you can do drainage, foundation, and then a couple Rick Morales goodies, then you feel like, hey, Correct. sleep at night and you're all right. So, so typically whenever I do a home inspection, I... I, I, I look at it as if I'm buying the house myself. And, you know, what are concerns that I'm going to have? And um, so that's, that's the mindset I have when I look at these properties. But I think also, um, outside of drainage and seismic, I, you know, I think homeowners should be aware of, of um, improvements that might have been done structurally without permits. Hmm. Uh, I, I think... Um, you know, if you purchase a home where maybe a flipper bought it and had been at the house for less than a year and, and, and all of a sudden you see all of these uh, open spaces, you know, I'm not saying that, that this could always be the case, but there, there could be some concerns that maybe certain parts of the structure might have been um, affected or, or altered without proper permits. So, so I, I think a prudent thing for a, a, a buyer to do and their realtor is, is to get a copy of all the the uh, the building permits for a particular property that they're pr purchasing. Um, and especially you can see um, during the time that maybe uh, the seller had purchased a property, if they claim they've done bathroom improvements, kitchen improvements, again, all of this requires permits uh, from the city to make sure you have proper electrical work done, mm -hmm. plumbing work done. Um, so you can go back to the building department uh, information and you can also look at the disclosure from, from the seller as far as what they did and, and match just to make sure that all that work is done um, properly. I'm with you. So. That, one of my biggest red flags is clients buying a brand new home that's a flipper and you go, oh, it's a 50s or 60s home. They tend to have their separate rooms, not open living back then. And when it's a wide open living space, you go, oh, they didn't pull permits. It was just a quick refresh. And I go, well, where, where's the beam that likely held up this area? And that's when we bring you in to go, Look at those things yeah. because is the house weaker yeah. after so, a flip? Yeah, so so I think um, it's prudent to do that, to do your homework because in essence, um, if you don't solve it during the time you're actually buying the property, you you adopt all of those issues as your own issues. Yes. So when it comes time to, for you to sell the property, you're going to have to disclose what you're aware of and that becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So. Agreed. I, I have some things to say here. I want to just give some, some of our Beach City listeners some advice. We talked a lot about PV, slopes, clay. Can you give us some highlights of the beach cities that you see with those sandy soils, or at least when people are building homes or remodeling homes, what they need to be looking for or conscious of with their houses by the beach? Yeah, so the soil, the soil at the beach cities are typically a sand or silty sand, so it's 
it's, it's free draining. You don't get conditions uh, like you have here in, in Palos Verdes where you have expansive soil, um, where you're concerned so much about drainage. But at the same time, um, with that in mind, you still want to make sure you take care of drainage. Um, when we design new homes or, or improvements in, in the beach cities, the building departments are still requiring that we have proper gutters and downspouts and drain systems um, so that you don't have flooding around your house. Um, what's happening now for a lot of these properties um, on, in the beach cities, you know, companies are coming in and they're buying these older homes and they're building these, you know, tall mini mansions. Mm-hmm. And um, usually with that, they tend to do these large excavations. And you see, you see these temporary shoring steel columns with these la- wood lagging between right adjacent to property lines um, for, for, for these properties. And uh, what's been happening is a lot of the, these homeowners who are living adjacent to these large developments are starting to see cons- uh, problems with their home as a result of the excavation work. Yes. So one of the things that we provide for, for um, homeowners who are aware that their neighbors are going to do some major uh, excavation is we, we um, go out there and provide photo documentation of the condition of their home, interior and exterior, before the work starts. So in the event that they um, develop cracks, they can at least go back and look and see that, hey, th- these cracks did not exist when we hired PV Engineering before they were cut started. Um, we also crawl under the house. We photograph the foundations um, to see if, and, and, and to see if there are cracks in the foundations. We, we draw a foundation plan to show where there are cracks. So in the event that new cracks develop, we can we can also pinpoint that maybe it could be affected by that foundation. But one of the things that is a major tool is what we call a manometer floor survey. Yes. Okay. Let's get into it. So a manometer floor survey is, tip, is similar to like an X-ray to a doctor. It provides a topographic condition of your floor at a certain period of time. And in most homes, the floors aren't built completely level. But we know that if, if your home is built close to a descending slope, there's a good chance it'll be tilting toward one direction. And um, many of the homes on the hill, at least in Palos Verdes, have unlevel floors. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, why? Because they were built probably in the 50s and 60s with no, no drain devices. But eventually, over a period of time, it seems like um, the fill starts to um, find a point where it, uh, of equilibrium, where it doesn't settle as fast. And, um, and, and um, you may not see many new cracks, but when, when a buyer purchases a home, they'll see that the floor is unlevel. They'll think, wow, maybe there's active movement. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways I think one can understand um, building behavior outside of a visual inspection to see if there's cracks is the manometer survey. Cause now you're actually getting actual information data that could be used like, a, like information from an, an x-ray. Cause every time you go to the dentist a year later, they want to get another x-ray. They want to compare. Mm-hmm. So by getting a manometer survey, um, at least for a home to, to understand its condition, one, it's useful for homes as we just talked about in the beach cities where you can understand or have a, have a database or reference point of the floor topography before the construction of the neighboring home. Cause we've gone into some cases where 
that's been useful where we get a second survey after they've done all their excavations and it does show signs of tilting toward that yes. direction, right? Because now we had a survey that's done to compare. So it, that's a prudent thing to do. But um, another prudent thing to do is if you own a home and you've been there for 30 years and you don't think your floors are, are really moving, showing signs of movement, but they, they have in the past because they're tilted, um, it'd be nice to, to get a survey as soon as possible so that if you were to sell your house in 10 or 20 years um, and there's no signs of any recent movement, then you can you can f- feel comfortable to say that, hey, my, our home has not exhibited any signs of distress since because comparing to surveys, it shows minimal amount of um, change or, 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 um, or of vertical displacement. But one of the things um, I think it's important um, to understand is history. That's why whenever I go to a property, um, I always ask questions like, when was um, um, the walls painted, right? So if you go to a house and they claim they haven't painted the house for 20 years, and you see no evidence of new cracks when you're out there, you can at least feel comfortable in saying, oh, the home seems to be behaving well for the past 20 years. Because mm-hmm. the weakest part of a building is, is glass. And then the next is brittle, the brittle wall surfaces like drywall and, and stucco. Because mm-hmm. what we have are, um, our homes are essentially wood frame structures that will bend and flex during earthquakes and during foundation movements. But the rigid elements like glass and stucco and drywall, they'll crack, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because they, they will not bend as, as, as lumber will. So, so when you go to a home and, and um, it, you find out it has, been, has not been painted for many years and you don't see a lot of cracks, um, then you can feel comfortable that, that that's one sign of a good building behavior. Um, so when you go on an airplane, the windows themselves have rounded corners. They're not mm. 90 degrees. So structures also, windows and window openings and door openings, they have 90 degree corners. So typically whenever um, you have signs of foundation movement, which is a vertical movement or lateral movement from an earthquake, the windows or doors become like parallelograms. Mm-hmm. So you'll immediately see diagonal cracks at the corners of doors and windows. Yes. So if you go back to the history if the home hasn't built, it wasn't repainted for 20 years and you don't see these diagonal cracks around doors and windows, you know, you can feel comfortable that there's a good chance that the foundations have not moved. Um, so the manometer survey is, is, is a good thing to do. If, if you think your home has, um, is not exhibiting a lot of signs of movement, but it, you know it's on the floors on level, at least you can uh, provide that information you know, to the, a new buyer and say, hey, look, I had a survey done 10 years ago. Here's another one done by uh, Palace for Engineering, and it shows minimal change. And that might give some comfort to the buyer. You know? I think that's a great. And, and just for our listeners who don't know what a manometer survey is, you guys are essentially measuring points of the floor in a house or areas of the foundation. And is it the altitude of those? Or yeah. are you actually just figuring out if there's you know, using a level if there's movement. How, what exactly is a manometer survey or how is it done? Yeah, so, so there's, um, the olden days, it, it, it essentially is a tripod with a water reservoir and a hose with a yardstick. Okay. So as you, as you, as you move it around, the, the elevation, the water's going to change up and down based on its level condition. Got it. Um, but today there's, other kinds of level that's more modern, you know, like a GPS. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but what we typically will do is we'll, we'll find we'll find a uh, spot in the house that we call it our, our database. So it could be the front door, and we'll set that at zero elevation, mm-hmm. and then we'll move this vertical element that can measure throughout the house. And typically, we for every room, we'll go to each corner and the center of each room, and we we we, we take elevation readings. So. Um, It'll tell us whether one area slopes down a tenth of an inch or two tenths of an inch, you know, or two inches or three inches. Now, the American Concrete Institute um, provides um, an allowance of one inch within 20 feet, where they say that's acceptable practice uh, that could be related to construction practices, you know, um, that not all floors are actually constructed properly perfectly level. Mm-hmm. They give you one inch within 20 feet. Um, that is um, what many, many engineers will use as an industry standard. But I think more, more importantly, I think one has to look at, look at the pattern of tilting, even if it's less than an inch, if it shows a pattern of tilting toward the rear of the house where there's a descending slope, maybe the floors were built completely level, but it has tilted, you know, an inch or so. Um, and it's showing that, that there's been either past or ongoing movement. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at all of the patterns whenever you inspect a property. You have to look at the topography of the property. You have to look at the drainage conditions and then look for signs of building movement. Absolutely. I love the manometer survey for people who have owned their house for a long time or what you just stated in the beach cities, Redondo, Hermosa, Manhattan and getting it if you know a neighbor's gonna do construction because you do see these towering three-story buildings and many are excavating to have a basement. And for people that don't know shoring, it's those steel beams that are holding up almost those those railroad ties. And I, I explain to anyone who will listen to me when we're walking by, I go, look at that. Like if one of those came off, the sand can come pouring out You know, people don't realize why these things go in. And I go, if the sand pours out, that's the foundation holding up the neighbor and that home collapses into the construction site. And so people don't understand all these details that go into building these homes. And the manometer, it, it takes me to when we have a vacant unit in one of our income properties, we take pictures of the interior of the unit and we print them out. And we have the tenant and the landlord sign them both going, yes, this is what the interior of the unit looks like. So when they move out and if there's ever an argument on what the condition was in a security deposit, you have memorialized pictures signed by both parties. It's exactly what you're saying with a manometer report at the Beach Cities. Get those pictures, get the manometer report before construction starts, and you have a ground zero, so to speak, or a baseline, Uh, a baseline of where your house is. And then if there really is an issue, you have something to prove exactly that your house moved. Exactly. That's brilliant. Yes. And I still think people should get like, I'm taking away from this Mm -hmm. interview with you is if you've owned your home for 10 years plus, you've got a ton of equity. You should call Rick, have him do a diagnosis, go under the house, go in the attic, look at your draining. And I go, pay the money for you, pay the money for a manometer report, because if you have all this equity, you have, you got to protect your investment. And if you're planning to live there for a long time, 
that's the diagnosis of let's go invest a little bit of money in bracing a cripple wall or bolting a foundation if it's not, or let's put in that particle board on the roof or let's install the French drains because there's cracks here and you're protecting your investment long-term. It's a small cost for some great It's such a small, and it is expensive, quote unquote, relative to other things, but I don't know a better ROI than having you or a manometer report and memorializing those for years to come. Especially for a home on the hillside. Yes. Yes. Or, and many of the beach cities here, they they slope up on sand with all this construction and poor drainage. Those are huge things that I just don't think people do enough. Yeah. I, I don't think they're aware that they can, of a manometer survey. But um, now, they, they, not. Now, now they are. They're not. Hopefully <laughs> now, they now they are. Now they I are. wasn't aware of it when I started my yeah. career. And, and there are some realtors when we bring you in, like, why do you have an engineer? This house is fine. And I'm like, it's not that we're trying to indict this home on having something bad. We want Rick's opinion to maintain it properly and memorialize its condition. So when we call you five years later, 10 years later, I mean, it, it, we can know, talk about most it. Most homes um, that are sold aren't, aren't new. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's similar to someone buying you know, an older vehicle. You, you really, it's, the wise thing to do is get a mechanic to look at the engine. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yes. the same, it's the same thing. It's check your Carfax and yeah. they show all the accidents. It's been a manometer survey almost starts that history of the Carfax yeah. and go from there. Yes. But uh, that, that's, that's a so-so metaphor, but yeah, I'm trying yeah. to come up with how we're memorializing where the car is versus right, right, the house. Right. No, works. It's very helpful. So, Rick, some takeaways for today. If you had, because we get, you know, a lot of people that listen to this are first-time homeowners or they're new to the South Bay and have bought their house, and maybe they'll do a move-up home later, or then people who just, they've been around forever and they discover, what are kind of the top three things you would recommend anyone to do as a homeowner here now? Obviously, it sounds like manometer and drainage is way up there. If you just went, hey, to take away from here, you own your home or you've recently purchased it, PV to the beach cities, uh, just a few things for people to take away that you would say as a guy who's been doing this for decades around here, what should people focus on? I think um, we've already covered it. I think Drainage is key. I think as soon as you walk into the property, well, first of all, understand your property. Mm-hmm. Understand what you're buying. Is this is this home um, such just where we call it a transition lot? Is is there fill areas around the house? Does does your property receive surface runoff from higher elevated properties? Understand what happens during a heavy rain to your property, along with um, the topography of the property. That'll tell you something. Um, but manometer surveys are key. It gives you a good database. Um, it never hurts. I think after you, right after you buy the property, before you actually furnish it, go in there with a video camera and just video camera the whole house inside and out. So at least again, you have a reference point of its condition, uh, right after you purchase the property, um, because sometimes you don't know whether there's been a non-disclosure issue, mm-hmm. Absolutely. you know, um, uh, you know, um, I have a property that I'm working on in an investigation where where a flipper purchased the property and now there's a lot of cracks throughout the house. And if you go on Zillow, you can see that before the flipper purchased the property, there are cracks in the photographs. Amazing. So the home was painted, sort of concealed, 
And now they're recracking, but it was non-disclosed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think um, you can do your research. Uh, as we had discussed also, um, understand, the, get a copy of the permit records mm-hmm. for the property. I don't think people, enough people do that. Because, you know, if you remodel your bathroom or kitchen, you, you're going to have to get a permit, right? Um, we work on a lot of properties where even though we started to go in there from a structural standpoint to look at the structural condition, when you bring the contractor out, they see all these issues with electrical work that was done improperly. And again, it's all about safety, not just structural safety, but electrical safety is Mm -hmm. is a big issue. Sure. So um, look at drainage, get a manometer survey, get a copy of building department records Mm. and really understand uh, and get a good disclosure statement as far as what exactly is, um, the, the history of the home. I love it. And call Rick Morales to come and go through the house love to and you'll feel really, really yes. good. Well, Rick, I love it. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to have you back. Where can listeners reach you? Can you give them a website, a phone number, an email, an Instagram handle? What, where, where can they find you uh, uh, if they need your services? Okay. Fantastic. Um, office, our office number, we're here um, in, in the promenade here in Palos Verdes. Office number is 310-541-5055. Uh, you're welcome to send me an email at rick at pvec.com. Perfect. Love it. Rick, thanks for joining us as always. We're probably going to have you featured on an Instagram video here one of these days with Sergio. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Uh, We'll we'll have you come out to my house. We'll do Uh, the manometer. We'll have you go through and we'll do a whole feature on that. So we'll do that in the future for listeners. Thank you for joining us, you guys. You heard Rick. If you need him, he can do your new construction. He can do your inspections for your house. Uh, Next week, or at least on our next podcast, I'm going to be reviewing quarterly numbers, third quarter numbers for PV to Manhattan Beach. So join me there. And until then, I'll see you next time on the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. Take care.